We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's kind of like making a law. If you're you know, a leader and you make a law, it's kind of binding for the nation. Warren Worsby said, even though Saul was not a godly man, his oath made in the Lord's name was a legitimate oath. And if the Lord ignored it, he would have dishonored his own name. And so here we see he makes these rash oaths in verse 24 and again here. And so right here we find that when Saul made that oath, if anybody eats honey, you know, he's cursed. Jonathan didn't hear. And so when Jonathan was in the battle and he saw some honey he said man god's provided he got some honey it made him all happy remember it was so cool the way his countenance changed but jonathan i guess you can say in a technical way he broke the vow and so what we see in verse 40 it says in verse 40 that he said to all israel okay let's find out where this sin is you be on one side and me and my son jonathan and i will be on the other side and the people said to saul well do what seems good to you And therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, Okay, give a perfect lot. And so Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And then Saul said, Cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. And so Jonathan was taken. And then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die. And Saul answered, God do so, and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. There's about to be a a national, a family tragedy, a fatality based on this legality. So according to the letter of the law, Jonathan must die, right? You know, here we see that, again, Saul's wondering, where's the sin? Okay, cast lots. We're going to get to the bottom of this. All of Israel on one side, me and my son Jonathan on this side, and they cast the lots. According to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, every time the lot is cast, the Lord is the one in control. He decides where it falls, and so God chooses Jonathan and Saul. Okay, now who is it, Lord Jonathan or or me? And, And again, they cast the lots, and this time the Lord selects Jonathan. Now, I must admit, you guys, whenever I read this, I always wonder, that's weird, you know, why why didn't you choose Saul? Lord, he was the one that was really in sin. Why didn't the Lord expose Saul here? And really, what are lots anyways? You know, how does all that work? Well, we don't know for sure what lots are, just to let you know. Some people say maybe they were sticks. Most people believe these were like these little stones in the in the ephod of the priests. And somehow these stones were cast and they could tell. Some were black, some were white. We don't know for sure. All we know is that it was, it was the way in the Old Testament where they would determine, you know, God's will. For us, the closest thing we have is what? Flipping a coin, right? Heads and tails. Sometimes we see that in the baseball game or whatever, the football game, right? Right here we see the Lord casting lots. They're casting lots and God chooses Jonathan. 
Now, again, we don't know a whole lot about this, but we do know some things. In Numbers chapter 30, it says in verse 2, that if a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And that's just, you know, a man. Imagine now when it's the king and he makes a law. And so again, Saul said, Cursed is anyone who eats honey. Jonathan did what? He ate honey. So according to the letter of the law, he must die. And so Jonathan says there in verse 43, uh, Okay, so now I must die. Now if you read the story, it just kind of like, it's like, it just like breaks your heart. Wait a minute, man, time out. Jonathan is the one that God used to bring the victory. You know, wait a minute, time out. Jonathan wasn't there when Saul made that, that oath. And not only that, that oath was a dumb oath, right? I mean, it was dumb. Why would you forbid your soldiers to have honey in the middle of a war when they needed strength? And so you look at all that and you just wonder, Lord, how does that work? Saul is even willing to kill his own son. You want to know something? If I could say it this way, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but something smells in suburbia. <laughs> something is just way off. And you want to know what it is? It's Saul. It's Saul. Here's the thing, and I know this is crazy, you know, but here's the thing. Saul is an insecure leader. Saul is an envious man. You guys know the real reason they crucified Jesus? Do you guys know? Remember what it says? Matthew, Mark, it says they handed him over because of what? Envy. What's envy? It's that ugly sin of jealousy multiplied to the point where you don't want them to be blessed. What had happened was Jesus had come. He was teaching the truth. He was loving the people. He was doing miracles. And the religious leaders didn't like the way that he was taking away their people, their flock, so to speak. They didn't like the way that the people loved him. And so they handed him over because of envy. Now, I don't know if you guys ever struggle with that, jealousy. You know, when your neighbor gets a, a new car or, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Where, you know, whatever it is, you look at that person over there and you're like, you know what? And then you begin to compare yourself to them. Oh, they're better than you. They, you know, more people like him than me. And, I mean, it's just really an ugly thing that I see sometimes in the church. And it's in the heart of Saul. What had happened was Jonathan had led them to victory. Now, when you read the oath, Saul said, hey, nobody eat honey until I get victory. I get victory. And then later on, when you read Saul's second oath, he says, the Lord is the one who's given us the victory. The Lord is the one who's given us the victory. Okay, cool. But, but you guys, remember the story? The Lord used Jonathan. Now, why doesn't Saul ever mention, I mean, at least mention Jonathan? Like, you know, the Lord, isn't it so cool what my son Jonathan did? How, you know, we can now emulate his faith because we really do need to emulate his faith, you guys. I mean, there are battles in this world today 
that really can be won if we would have the courage of Jonathan. And so we look at what he did and how he was willing to fight the whole Philistine army because he knew it was the Lord. And so you go out, you and you and you and you, you go out with the courage of Jonathan, with the faith of Jonathan, and win the battles for the Lord, right? That's what we should do. That's the only reason we might mention someone like Jonathan. That's the only reason we might mention someone like Martin Luther or Chuck Smith or, you know, Nancy Lee DeMoss or whoever it is that you see. You know what? They're, they're a good example. And you can emulate their faith. But what happens a lot of times in the church, I think, is that you know, we, we get insecure, especially when we get like a ministry or a position in the ministry or, or whatever it is. I don't know why. You guys ever have a fish tank? Did you guys ever have a fish tank? Yeah? No? No one's here ever had a fish tank? Some of you have? I don't know. This is probably the way it is in, in all, in all, you know, animal kingdoms and stuff. But I remember whenever I got a fish tank, there would always be one fish that would just dominate the tank. I don't, did you guys ever have that? And he just had to establish his authority, right? He had to establish that. And so, you know, as soon as a new fish came in, you kind of check him out and, you know, and then bite off a few of his fins. And then he said, okay, I want you to know I'm in charge, you know? And I just pray that that would never be our heart. As a matter of fact, let's have this heart, esteeming others better than yourself. You know what? I, I love it the way that you love them. I love it. And, and Jonathan, you know, should have at least had that from his father. But here's the thing. Um, and if you read between the lines, this is what you see. Is that Saul said, you know what? If anyone's in sin, even if it's my son, he's going to die. And then when he did find out that it was his son... You're going to die. You know what? He wanted to kill his son. That was the heart of Saul. <laughs> and I know this sounds crazy, but maybe there's somebody you want, to, you want them to die. You want them to, to move to another church. You want them to get out of the ministry, move out of the neighborhood, whatever it is. And if that's you, then you are a Saul. And we have to really guard ourselves against that. You know, I really, I, and I could mention a couple of you here. You know what? I don't want to embarrass Gabriel, but I love the way that he, he just is so cool, man. You know, I mean, like, I don't know how to put it in words, but one thing I've noticed in him is that he likes it when he praises other people, so to speak. I guess you could say it that way. He, he'll compliment them. Yeah, man, I remember, you know, so-and-so did that, or hey, this pastor's doing that or saying that. I like that. I really like that. And that's the heart that we need to have. Philippians chapter 2, esteem others better than yourself. And that's, the I think, something that, I don't know. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. As I was going through the study today, I'm like, I'm pe- these people aren't struggling with this, Lord. And I would ask you to raise your hand if you're struggling with it, but that's kind of embarrassing, huh? <laughs> I wonder. If you are, be careful. Okay, be careful. Saul, it was so bad, he wanted to kill 
his son. And so he said, oh, well, let's kill him. But then look what happens in verse 45. It says, but the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance Israel and Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. And so the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. So we have the negative example, and now we have a positive example. And here's the way it works. When Saul started this whole thing, notice what it says right here in verse, uh, where is it? We started off in verse 38, right? Verse 39, Saul said, As the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But look what it says, not a, not a man among all the people answered him. They didn't say anything, right? And then in verse 40, they said, Do what seems good to you, Saul. That's kind of like the person who sees maybe an injustice going on, or they see, we're going to see even escalating to the point of, you know, someone maybe being put to death and, and, and they don't say anything. But then finally, the wisdom and the courage is mustered up by the power of the Holy Spirit and they, and they begin to talk. They begin to get involved. They begin to say something. For me, I was thinking about this whole abortion issue that we have in our country today. You know, there are so many children that are, are being put to death. And a lot of times we won't say anything. We won't do anything. We might not even pray anything. And God is saying, you know what? <laughs> Rise up. Unite, church, and speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. It could be this pastor over there. Where is he in Iran? You guys heard about this pastor? And and, and, the, and the country wants to kill him. And, and we, you know, rather than just kind of like kicking it, you know, wherever we are, just having our, our good life, maybe send an email, maybe shoot up some prayers, maybe, you know, somehow you get involved with that. You know, when you see those things, those that are, are dying, or they're going to be put to death, speak up. Here we see that's what they did for Jonathan, and as a result of that, they saved his life. They were probably a little afraid at first, but at the same time, they are probably assuming that eventually Saul would come to his senses, right? But wrong, he wouldn't. And so he's about to kill his son, the one whom God had just used to bring about victory for Israel. And so the people stepped in, you guys. And so us, step in, step up, right? And this is what's cool. Look again at verse 45. It says right here, the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die to accomplish this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. I love this right here. This is so cool. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall. Now what happens? They make their oath. Now is that cool or what? That is so cool. Well, you see someone at first, they're afraid. But now they take courage. The people finally stepped in and stepped up with their own vow. Now, I really believe Saul's massive insecurity blinded him, seeing that the Lord was with Jonathan, but 
not just that, but that Jonathan was with the Lord. That Jonathan had worked with God that day. That God had worked with Jonathan. He couldn't see any of that. He couldn't see, even from a human perspective, that it was the faith of Jonathan, his son, who had led the way for victory in Israel. You know, we don't read anywhere of Saul acknowledging his son. Not a hug, not a high five, not a word. Why? Because of his position. Be so careful. You know, we get the impression, Warren Wiersbe said, that Saul was almost determined that he would demote or destroy his own son. And it's clear that Jonathan didn't agree with his father's policies and practices. Hence, we see Saul made another oath. He didn't recognize the deliverance that Jonathan had wrought as he stepped out by faith. As a matter of fact, he suggested death. Something he was very willing and open to do. couple last things. Um, be careful that you don't have a legal relationship with God. A legal relationship. You know, um, because the Bible says that the spirit of the letter kills. The spirit of the law, it kills. And you have to be careful Let me ask you a question. If you got today what you deserved, like if God was just, boom, just with you, where would you be right now? We'd be in hell, right? And not just, you know, as far as getting saved. I think even just the way that God's dealing with us. Okay, I would venture to say that a lot of us here sinned today. Like a lot of us here have been struggling. Maybe you've been struggling in your marriage. Maybe you've been struggling with your parents or with your kids. Is there somebody at your work at your work that you wish would get fired? Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe not. Um, maybe you've been struggling to get to prayer the way that you should be praying. You know, and like you hear Manny and this guy's just putting his burdens on me. He's telling me I got to pray an hour every day and you feel like a failure. I don't know what it is, getting into the word, just really being passionate. And just, I don't know, I do know this, that, that we fall short every single day. But you want to know something, man? God still loves you. He loves you, man. He brought you here today. He's working in your life. We read earlier, all things work together for good to those who love God. You know, I know this. I know this. My God is awesome. Your God is awesome. Don't let the enemy condemn you. And don't let the enemy bring you into a legal relationship with with God that, you know, if you ate the honey, even though you didn't hear the oath, that, you know, somehow you think, well, then it's over. You want to know something, man? It's not over. It's not over. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I don't know. i got to at least talk to some of you out there that maybe are getting condemned by the devil. And you're thinking, well, because I blew it, you know, 37 times that now I, I can never really recover and I'm telling you this, that, you know, it's a one-step thing getting back to where you need to be. 
But you got to accept the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about, you know, hard-hearted, abusing God's grace. I'm talking about so many of you here that in all reality, I, I just, I believe that yet you're trying, but you're stumbling. And God is just saying, listen, I don't want to have a legal relationship with you. Legality will lead to a fatality. I want you to know who I am, that I am the God who forgives. I'm the God of the second chance. I am the all-powerful God who is willing to meet you on a Thursday night and put your life back together again. I am God, almighty God, who's willing to tonight put you back on track where you belong. And and you're like, well, he did that last Thursday. Yeah, I know. And, and he'll do it again because he's so good. I always tell people, you know what? If God takes you out, cool. Let him take you out. Don't take yourself out. Don't take yourself out because you'd be so amazed. Like Spurgeon said, can you drink of his ocean of grace? Think about that. The whole ocean? Can you drink it? No, we can drown in it, man. That's how good God is. Remember in John chapter 8 when they brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery? You know, the religious leaders, man, they kind of set this whole thing up. She did sin, but they brought her to Jesus and they said, Jesus, the law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? And they thought they had him in a trap, right? They, oh, we're going to get him now. Either he's going to violate the law or he's going to ostracize himself from the people. And the Lord just, you know what? I mean, he, he, you know, he wrote on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. Most people think he wrote their sins. We don't know for sure. And then the Lord said, you know, real simple. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one they walked away. And you guys know how it all worked out. But here's the, here's the, the thing that I pray that you would come away with most in that story. Is that he loved the woman. He loved her. That's why he defended her. That's why he showed her grace. Because he loved her. And he loves you. He loves you. And the accuser of the brethren and the legal Christians, they're going to try to just jack up your relationship with God. And they're going to try to erase that, that fundamental truth that He loves you. He loves you. They're going to try to be like Saul. And you're Jonathan. And God says, you know when you read Joshua chapter 3, the devil came and he said, ah, oh, this guy's all messed up. Remember that story? And the Lord said, sorry, he's mine. He's our advocate. And we got to make sure that we don't have this, this legal relationship with God. Because I, I know I'll never make it. You know, if I, like the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. That's not how God is. And so we see that we learn these things. And when we see Christ, you know, teaching us the distinctions I think that, you know, you and I can come away, even First Samuel 14, with 
something that will carry us through life. We close right here in verse 46. It says, And then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. And so Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, among against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. Here we see God would give Israel physical victories through Saul. And, you know, they're going to get physical victories. But they didn't get the spiritual victories. And there is a difference, you guys, in life. There is a difference, right? The Philistines, generally speaking, were temporarily set home to the strip of land they possessed on the southwest coast. They kept Moab and Ammon away. They were the descendants of Lot. There they are on the east side of the Jordan. The Edomites, descendants of Esau on the south side, the southeast side. Uh, Zoba was the Armenian kingdom in the Becca Valley. And what we see is like just like as a general rule of thumb, they kind of had this physical victory and and some people are cool with that i got a physical victory i got a job i got a car i got a nice house and i have a nice dog right and um i dress nice and i'm i'm very handsome and whatever it is i'm very good looking and you know all my kids are getting good grades and you know and uh, i'm healthy and i as a matter of fact i bench press 275 whatever it is you know you you got all these physical victories right physical victories big deal Big deal. I can't bench press 275 anymore. <laughs> but spiritually, how much can you bench? Spiritual victories. That's going to be the difference between Saul and David, right? And so we close right here with his family. It says right here in verse 49, the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jeshua, and Melchishua. And the names of his two daughters were these, the names of the firstborn, Merab, and the name of the younger, Michal. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz, and the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. And when you put it all together, you find that Saul actually had other sons. If you read First Chronicles 8 and chapter 9, uh, he had these two daughters, Mirab and Michal. He had also a concubine that bore him two more sons named Armoni and Mephibosheth, according to Second Samuel 21, verse 8. And we know that according to the scriptures, Abner was probably his cousin, maybe his nephew. Here's the thing that I want to share with you guys real quick, though. Okay, you're like, cool, what a beautiful family. What a really cool, and maybe they were beautiful. But here's the thing, when you read the scriptures, man, their lives were tragic. Because of Saul. Huh. Michal never had children. Mirab, her five sons were put to death. I mean, when you read them, all of his sons killed in battle. I mean, what happened to his wife? What happened to his family? He destroyed his family. We read it and we're like, oh, cool. You know, Ozzy and Harriet, man. No, there's just so many warnings here. The last thing is this. It says in verse 52, Now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him, notice for who? For himself. That tells you a little bit about Saul.
please, you guys, don't be a Saul. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us, Lord. Sometimes when I read about Saul's life, I think, wow, Lord, that's too close for comfort. I, oh, I don't want to be like him. I want to be like you, Lord. I want to be like Jonathan. I want to be like David, Lord, a Joseph and Job and just all these guys, Lord, that are good examples. But I know, Lord, that I'll never even, you know, I don't know, get in, in, in that territory, in that, in that playing field. I'll never have any hope of, of being the man that I want to be unless I first I really understand who you are, Lord. And so I just pray, Father, for everyone here, they would know you, your love, your cross, your mercy, your grace, the way that you constantly are watching over them, the way that we might forget you, but you never forget us the way that you catch every tear, the way that you take care of every hair, the way that you know all our thoughts are rising up, are sitting down. You know everything about us. You're, we're the apple of your eye. And even though we fail you, you still love us. I don't want to fail you, Lord. I don't want to. But I do thank you that, that when I do, you're there to catch me. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, yeah, we, we examine our life, Lord God. We, we have that time of self-examination, but, Lord, let it not replace the concentration on Christ. And I pray, Father, in my own life and even sometimes the way that I deal with my children, Lord, forgive me because even sometimes there, Lord, I have a, a legal relationship and not a love relationship. Teach me, Lord. Teach us. Encourage and bless your people here tonight. And I pray that every single person here would know that you really do love them, Lord. Help us, Lord, to forsake all our sins and to cling tightly to you. And if there is anyone here tonight who doesn't know you, Lord, who's not a Christian, then I pray that tonight would be the night that they would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus, the one who died for their sins, was put in a grave and rose again. We love you, Lord, and thank you. We need you. And I also want to pray, Lord, as we close today, that you would not only teach us, but that you would touch us tonight in the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.